What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Dolphins in Depth podcast. I'm Daniel Yafusi. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, and your Miami Dolphins are continuing to progress in their offseason workout programs. Uh, they've started organized team activities a couple of weeks ago, and Wednesday marks the first of two days of their mandatory mini camp. So up to this point, uh, the offseason workout programs have been voluntary. Um, players do not have to show up, but they're obviously strongly encouraged to, as it's the kind of precursor uh, to training camp late in July. Um, so again, as the Dolphins come together for uh, the first two days of mandatory minicamp, uh, we should expect to see a more representative uh, look of this 90-man roster that the Dolphins have put together. Um, we're definitely expecting to see some veterans that haven't been in attendance um, in the previous days and weeks. Um, so it should be good to see how the team is progressing with, again, with a more representative look at that roster. Uh, but again, we're, we're starting to kind of transition and lead really into the dog days of the offseason, really of the calendar year when it comes to football, you know, you have the Super Bowl that ends in February, but, you know, March, April, uh, May, you know, we have uh, combine and draft and free agency and obviously the offseason workout program. Uh, but after next week, I mean, the players are going to be away from the facility for a month. There's not going to be a lot going on, um, you know. Uh, people are just going to be chomping at the bit for some football, especially in South Florida with the Miami Heat unfortunately getting knocked out of the Eastern Conference Finals, not making it to the NBA Finals. Um, so again, uh, we're kind of we're kind of uh, kind of starving for content here, and I and I wanted to kind of switch things up and uh, do something really uh, fun and cool. So I did a call out earlier in the week uh, to all my followers on Twitter at Daniel Yafusi. And I said, Hey, what do you guys want to know? What do you want to talk about? What questions do you have about the team um, about how offseason workouts have been going on uh, and how, you know, maybe how the the team is stacking up um, as we kind of get uh, into training camp and, um, you know, really wait for the start of the 2022 season. Um, so I'm going to devote this episode to answering some really, really good questions um, that was posed to me and uh, as well as kind of preview mandatory minutes camp toward the end of this pod, uh, but we're going to get right into it and we're going to get into it with everyone's favorite topic, which is Tua Tungabailoa. And this uh, question actually comes from a friend of the podcast, somebody who uh, has actually uh, come on as a guest. That's uh, DJ BNMA, who was the Jets writer for the New York Daily News. So shout out to DJ for this question. I know he, he wanted to uh, ruffle some feathers and rouse stuff up. So we're going to get right into it with this question. And he asked a great question. Um, he said, asks how much of the concerns regarding Tua's deep ball is just overblown. Um, you know, first, DJ is a really close friend of mine, a really good friend of mine, and this is something that we've talked about a lot when we've discussed quarterback and quarterback play and what it what you need to be an elite quarterback. So I think this is a great question because, um, as I've said multiple times, Tua is one of, if not the most polarizing quarterback in the NFL right now. Uh, and obviously, with the big additions that the Dolphins have made uh, this offseason, getting Tyreek Kill, getting Teron Armstead, hiring Mike McDaniel as head coach, there are a lot of eyes on Tua for the 2022 season. Um, and there's been a lot of discourse surrounding Tua already, even during the offseason workout programs. Um, and a lot of that obviously is around the arm strength. Does Tua have the arm and the arm talent to um, hit his receiver and hit all these receivers, these new receivers and these new talented players that the Dolphins have surrounded him by? Um, you know, we've heard uh, Tyree Kill and others come to Tua's defense, um, praise Tua and the work that he's put in this offseason workout program. But again, 
you know, this doesn't really mean anything until we, we see it uh, on the field. But I did want to address, you know, the the narrative about Tua's arm strength, because I think it's a really interesting one, um, because as Tua, you know, as a young quarterback, as somebody specifically in the class of, of 2020 in that draft class, he's naturally going to be compared to the Joe Burrows of the world, uh, the Justin Herberts of the world, even the Josh Allens of the world um, in terms of, you know, their arm talent and their ability. Um, and, I, and I think that most people, the over, overwhelming majority of people would, would argue or they wouldn't argue where to uh, ranks in terms of the arm strength. They wouldn't, you know, he doesn't have a Josh Allen, a Matt Stafford, a Justin Herbert type arm. Um, but in terms of arm strength, arm accuracy, really the ability to place the ball downfield where it needs to be. Um, I think, and as Tyreek Hill said, I think Tua is actually a lot better um, than people like to give him credit for. And I mean, this is speaking as somebody that, that watched him for the 12 or 13 games that he appeared in last season has seen him um does Tua throw the ball downfield a lot no but I think that when he does he's actually very accurate and he's shown that he has the ability to get the ball downfield but if you don't believe me I gathered some numbers uh just to kind of I guess maybe prove my point or to support my point um so again um Tua maybe doesn't have the strongest arm in the NFL, but I think it is more than capable. Um, and just looking at some numbers that I, I dug up prior to this recording. Um, so of 33 qualified quarterbacks, Tua ranked 30th in intended air yards per pass attempt. And that's according to pro football reference. We know it was very much a dink and dunk offense last year, very RPO based, short pass based. We all know that. And the, the numbers show that he didn't really throw the ball downfield um but but again we know that that was mainly because of the the scheme and really the structure of this offense the fact that they kind of had to because of the struggles with the offensive line um you know it was arguably the worst you can say it was the worst statistically they gave up uh the most pressures in the nfl according to pro football focus um so that kind of accentuated the fact that you know Tua had to get the ball out of his hands quickly and, and the numbers show that again um the average time to throw before a pass attempt or a pressure for Tua was 2.1 seconds and that was tied 33 out of 33 qualified quarterbacks again according to pro football reference um so whether it was by design or by the fact that the offensive line wasn't holding up Tua had to get the ball out of his hands quickly and he did now, when we start to kind of transition into the deep attempts and, you know, getting the ball downfield, um, out of all there are 33 quarterbacks that threw at least 200 passes last season, um, Tua attempted 25 deep attempts, according to Sports Info Solutions. And deep attempts are defined as passes that travel at least 20 yards in the air. So Tua threw 25, which was 25, he attempted 25 deep passes, which was amongst the lowest for qualified passes, passes that are quarterbacks that attempted at least 200 passes. However, on those 25 pass attempts, Tua completed 12 of those. So 12 for 25, a 48% completion percentage. My math is not that great, but I know it's that good. It's good enough to do that, uh, 48%. And that completion percentage on quote-unquote deep attempts um, only trailed Kyler Murray out of all 33 quarterbacks. Um, so again, just one database that I used on deep attempts, Tua didn't attempt a lot of deep passes, but when he did, it got there. I mean, whatever you want to say about the, the mechanics of it, I mean, obviously you want to make sure the mechanics are good, um, but when he attempted those deep passes, um, it got there. I think that for the one thing for me, I'm not necessarily looking at how much the uh, the deep ball improves, 
Um, Because, I mean, truth be told, you know, in the couple practices that we've been able to see, I think two has thrown the best deep ball out of all the quarterbacks on the Miami Dolphins roster. Um, So, again, I don't think that throwing the ball deep is going to be an issue. Um, but I'm looking for more improvement on the intermediate range. I mean, we know Tua is great in the short range. Um, the numbers show that he is really solid on a short volume, on a small volume of deep passes. But I'm looking at that intermediate range, that 8 to 15 range, 8 to 18 yard range, um, that intermediate part of the field. I'm looking for improvement there because Tua on those intermediate attempts um, was 40 for 89, just under 45%. Some of the better quarterbacks in the league are in the 50s, the mid-50s range. Um, so again, we know Tua can get the ball out uh, accurately in short passes. We know that the stats show that he can get the ball to his receivers downfield, um, even in a small volume. Um, but I'm looking for more improvement in that intermediate range, which is why where I think the game of football is one. I mean, um, you don't see too many quarterbacks throwing the ball 45 yards down the field every other pass. I mean, a lot of times NFL games are won on third and seven, third and eight, third and nine. Can you make those accurate passes into in, in the intermediate range when the defense knows where the sticks are? I mean, that's what I'm looking for from Tua. Um, and I think that, and I've said it multiple times with these additions on this roster, with this scheme, with the upgrade offensive line. I think we're going to see uh, a vastly improved to a single And whether that is enough to lead the Dolphins to the playoffs, I mean, hey, it's, it's a team effort. As much as quarterback, as much as the quarterback plays a role in, in the results of the game, it's a team effort. Um, but I think two is going to be a lot more improved and we're going to see it in all facets of this game. Uh, so shout out to DJ for that opening question, because um, I know Tua is always a hotbed a topic. Um, the next question I'm going to get into is from, uh, let's see. So we're going to go to Wade Trip one who asks, I know it's early, but how are the scheme changes affecting the line and players? So shout out to Wade Trip one for that question. Um, and I think that's a really interesting question as well. Um, because there's been a lot of fascination and, you know, just intrigue in this West Coast um, offense in this uh, zone run or zone running scheme offense that Mike McDaniel is building. Um, and again, we're starting to see the, you know, a little bit of it in these practices that are open open to the media once a week. Um, unfortunately, we're not allowed to, um, you know, exactly report, you know, specifics of plays and, um, you know, offensive line combinations and where guys are lined in certain spots. So I won't do that. But I will say that in talking to the players, um, they really like this offense, especially on the offensive line. I mean, they like the fact um, that, you know, most offensive linemen said you're firing off the ball. Um, you know, you get to be the aggressor. You get to to initiate everything that's going on um, on the offense. So I think that, again, this offensive line is really, really going to benefit um, from the creativity of this of offense. They're going to really be able to uh, benefit from using the athleticism because you look at guys like Robert Hunt um, and Austin Jackson. I mean, Austin Jackson, the guy that has struggled, but he has all the, the physical traits in the world. Um, so I think that it's definitely going to be a scheme that plays to the strengths of this offensive line. You know, outside of that, it's, it's interesting to also talk to players who say, at the end of the day, football is football. You know, the scheme might be a little bit different, but everyone more or less runs the same thing in terms of maybe like the past concepts and the route combinations and stuff like that. Um, it's just it's just a matter for them of getting, you know, the, the playbook down, getting the language down, because um, maybe McDaniel teaches things or we know that he teaches things in a different way. Um, so it's really a matter of getting that language down and getting the playbook down and making sure that, 
all 11 players on page just and really the the big thing for for Tua because we know that this is his you know third new offense in as many years in the NFL so um he has played in a west coast based scheme you know in his time in Alabama but for him and as he said it's just a matter of getting that language down um but obviously and I, I think that the offensive line is going to um benefit the most from this scheme change uh, the last question I'm going to take before we take a short break comes from, let's see, uh, Finn Fabulous 13, who asked a similar question um, kind of regarding the scheme and whatnot. And um, he says, who is your money on for right tackle, Jackson, Eichenberg, or other? The position still makes me queasy. Uh, so thank you to Finn Fabulous 13 for that question. And yeah, uh, I mean, I, I think that um, the Dolphins have done a lot to address um, you know, all the deficiencies in this roster, particularly on the offensive line and at the skill position. So you add Tyree Kill, you add Cedric Wilson, um, you add Mostert, Sonny Michelle, um, Chase Edmonds at running back, um, and, and even Connor Williams at center. Um, but yeah, I think that there are still some legitimate questions at offensive line, particularly at right tackle, like you mentioned, and at center, um, because we still don't know who that starting center is going to be. Um, again, we're not allowed to report exactly who has been practicing where up until training camp. And when those are open to um, fans, then the fans will get to see and we'll get to report exactly who's starting where. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, that's a very valid concern because I think that while Teron Armstead will definitely lock down the left side and if healthy, he should be a very, very good to Pro Bowl level left tackle. Um, at the end of the day, right tackle still to his blindside um that's where you know he's not necessarily able to see when he's dropping back um so you know our reporting at the miami herald has been that liam eichenberg and austin jackson are going to get every opportunity um to you know start at right tackle or um, to start on this offensive line um you know again the question is you know if i had to kind of put my money on it who would i put my money on um, and I would say Austin Jackson, just because this is a guy who, you know, growing up was a tackle. I mean, he played left tackle at USC. He told us that he split time at right tackle and in different phases of his, um, you know, pre-NFL career. Um, and when you look at just the measurables and the athleticism and all the physical traits, I mean, it does look like a player who might be able to kind of, I don't want to say salvage career, salvage his career, maybe get on the right side uh, or kind of turn things around from the move to left side to, to, to the right side where maybe there's not as much pressure on him. Um, I think that coming out of uh, college, the knock on Liam Eichenberg was maybe he doesn't have the athleticism. He has the technique, maybe not the athleticism, maybe not the physical traits to line up um, consistently at left tackle. He Maybe he needs to go to right tackle or guard. Um, but again, we're, we're definitely several months away from deciding um, what happens there. And I think that potentially what happens at center could really have an impact, maybe have like a domino effect on the rest of the offensive line. We know Michael Dieter was the incumbent. Um, he, he is the incumbent. He started several games uh, at center in 2021. But we know that Connor Williams has some experience, at least uh, in the preseason and in training camp, snapping at center. Um, Mike McDaniel did more or less confirm that they've moved him around on the offensive line because he has um, flexibility um, on the interior offensive line. Um, so if, you know, Connor Williams doesn't end up starting at left guard and he starts at center, I mean, again, that could be a domino effect and um, you could, they could move guys around and try to get the, uh, the best five guys on the offensive line. 
Um, but again, right now, if you had to kind of put my feet to the fire and ask me who I think is going to be the day one starter um, at right tackle, uh, I would say Austin Jackson. I mean, I, I think that there is a slight possibility that they could bring in a, a veteran um, between now and, you know, training camp or now in week one. Um, but I think they're definitely giving these young guys every opportunity to grasp this offense um, and to show what they can do. At the end of the day, I, I have a good feeling that it's going to be Austin Jackson at starting at right tackle. Um, so thank you to everyone for the first half uh, of those questions. Uh, we're going to take a short break, but when we come, come back on the other side of things, uh, we're going to keep on taking more fan questions, um, talk rookies, um, talk some personnel, um, talk, you know, potential roster cuts down the line. Our training camp is coming in a month, um, and then we'll start to see the dwindling of this roster from 90 to 53. Um, so stay locked with us. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. What's going on, everybody? Still here on the Dolphins in Depth podcast, taking fan questions um, ahead of the start of mandatory minicamp for the Dolphins. Um, that first day starts June 1st. Um, then they'll wrap up the second day on June 2nd. Um, then they have one more practice, uh, OTA practice open to the media before they send players away for, for a month, give them a little break from the office and workout program. And then they come back and kick things back up for, uh, for training camp in late July. Um, so, you know, I answered a couple of questions on Tua, on the offensive line, on the scheme. Um, in the second half, I want to get into some other really, really good questions that uh, some people asked me on Twitter. Um, so this next question I'm going to answer is from at Eli JTS. Um, he says, what would be the most headline grabbing roster cut that should not be a surprise? And when do you expect it to happen? Um, I think this is a really, really interesting question. Um, because we saw a situation last year uh, and last summer where two veterans who were billed as potential starters and potential major contributors in 2021, we saw them cut um, before the start of the regular season. And that was obviously linebacker Bernard McKinney, um, who the Dolphins got in a trade and center Matt Skura, who they signed um, as a free agent. Both of those guys were actually uh, cut in the first round of, of the cuts. I mean, they didn't even make it to the final, um, you know, roster cuts. Um, those were very, very early cuts in training camp. Um, and again, I mean, that was uh, kind of a shocking move for the Dolphins. Um, and, and I bring that up because I think we, we find ourselves in a situation this year when you look at the roster. Um, this is a very young roster. But it's a very, very talented roster. And I think that for the most part, a lot of the positions are really solidified, not only in terms of starters, but in terms of depth. I mean, we're 
over a month or about a month away from the start of training camp. And I think it's pretty clear which veterans are kind of on the quote unquote hot seat or on the bubble. Um, I look at guys like wide receiver Preston Williams, Miles Gaskin. Um, those are players who have had significant roles in previous years. Um, but the Dolphins added a lot of talent at their respective position groups. And it's clear right now that if they want to be on this roster uh, week one of the 2022 season, I mean, they're going to have to go out there and earn it. I mean, their spots are by no means solidified. Um, so those are two vets who I think are already on the bubble right now. And both of those guys have been frequent attendees at uh, at the at some of these voluntary sessions so far. Um, one name that I think was brought up earlier in um, free agency who was thought of as a potential cap casualty was safety Eric Rowe. Um, the Dolphins could have saved um, $2.5 million by cutting him, but they didn't. He's still on the roster. Um, he kind of slots as the team's backup safety. And I, I get the sense that I think that he'll stick around and he'll make this roster just because of his versatility and just because of the things he can do when the Dolphins go into those sub packages and bring in multiple defensive backs on the field. Um, but again, um, he is a veteran. He said, hey, it's the business. I'm not going to think too much of it. Um, and the Dolphins do have some young defensive backs who I think that they really like, whether that's Trill Williams or Seljic Redwine or even Verone McKinley III, the undrafted um, rookie from uh, Oregon who's on this roster right now, kind of reuniting with um, his, his old teammate, Javon Holland. Um, if there's potential that maybe some of those guys really, really um, shine in training camp if they like what they've seen in OTAs, I mean, there are, there's always the possibility right there. Um, I always say you got to kind of, you know, trail the money and follow the money. And um, Eric Rowe does have a non-guaranteed salary. But again, I think that he is going to stick um, barring an injury or anything like that, or a young player really, really shining in training camp. But to answer the question specifically, I think one name that I'm looking at that could really be um, a, a roster cut when we get to training camp is Titan Adam Shaheen. I mean, this is a guy who opened the season as a starter. I mean, the Dolphins used last year, the Dolphins used multiple um, tight ends in their packages. And um, Adam Shaheen got a significant amount of snaps earlier in the season. Um, but late in the season, he suffered a knee injury. Um, Derm Smythe started to come along. In the final couple of games of the season, he was only getting about 10, 15, no more than 20 snaps a game. Um, so again, when you look at uh, Mike Kosecki coming back, um, Derm Smythe coming back, you have a second-year player in Hunter Long, who was a third-round pick just a year ago. Um, you know, there's been good reviews and, and, you know, praise from the coaches about his development so far. Um, I mean, he could be the odd man out. I mean, you look at a guy, also a guy like Stephen Carter, who doesn't have a big offensive role, but he was one of the team's core special team players last season. So if they want to keep him in a special team's role... Again, it could just be a numbers game. It could maybe not be because of merit or anything. It could just be a numbers game. And we do know that the Dolphins are going to keep an extra fullback, um, likely Alec Engold, who they signed um, in free agency. Um, so that just kind of dwindles and lessens the number. I mean, we're going to see a lot of um, two tight end and two running back um, packages, which kind of leads me into my to my next question. But again, um, just when you do a numbers game and you look at who's already on the roster and whatnot, I think Adam Shaheen is definitely a guy who uh, we could see on the roster bubble uh, in, in the coming weeks. Um, so that, like I said, that takes me into my uh, next question um, from Left Coast Fin Fan, and uh, his question is. Which Dolphins tight end will work best in 21 personnel? So we get to talk real scheme and strategy, which I love. Um, so for those who do not know, 21 personnel is two running backs, which that second running back is usually a fullback, 
one tight end and two wide receivers. So this is a really interesting question because um, I think that this is a personnel grouping that we're going to see a lot from the uh, excuse me from the Miami Dolphins under Mike McDaniel, who was obviously formerly the uh, San Francisco 49ers offensive coordinator. Um, just real quick, the most used personnel um, groupings for San Francisco last season was 11 personnel, which is run one running back, uh, one tight end, three wide receivers, um, 21 personnel, which is, again, like we said, two running backs, one tight end, and then 12 personnel, which is run one running back, two tight ends. Um, but going back to the original question about the 21 personnel, I mean, that's an interesting question because that would mean that we're just seeing one tight end on the field. So we're going to have a running back, whether that's Sonny Michelle, whether that's Chase Edmonds, whether that's Raheem Mostert, uh, and then we're going to have a fullback, Alec Engel. We're going to have two wide receivers, most likely uh, Tyree Kill and uh, Jamal Waddle, and the tight end. So who would who will that tight end be or who would work best? I mean, the Dolphins have a lot of tight ends on this roster right now. Um, you know, you have Mike Gusecki, who is kind of been regarded as a glorified slot receiver because he rarely ever lines up in line next to the offensive lineman to block. Um, you, like I said, you have Hunter Long, you have Adam Shaheen. Um, but honestly, truthfully, I think in if you're just running 21 personnel, I think that the best tight end for that could honestly be Durham Smythe. Um, you know, last year, um, as as we said before, you know, Mike Gusecki was a glorified slot receiver. He was used out wide. He was used flanked. He was used, you know, in the slot. Um, and, and when they did bring in those two tight ends, it was uh, it was usually Durham Smythe who actually got the blocking duties. Um, and Pro Football Focus actually graded him out as the best um, blocking tight end on the team last year, just a little above um, Adam Shaheen. But we also saw what Durham Smythe could do catching the ball. He set um, career numbers and receptions and receiving yards. So I think that uh, in terms of 21 personnel, one tight end, I think that just in terms of keeping defensive kind of on their heels, um, you know, letting, you know, not tipping your hat to whether it can be a, a, a running play or a passing play. I think that the best tight end for that could be Durham Smythe. That leads me into kind of a, a bigger picture question of like, where does that leave tight end Mike Kosecki? Um, and we talked a lot about it a lot on this podcast about where tight end Mike Kosecki actually um, fits in this offense. And McDaniel kind of, you know, downplayed the the concerns about how he would fit because um Kosecki is not really a blocker. He said, hey, I've worked with tight ends that have Mike Gusecki's, um skill set, and we're, we're going to find a way to make it work. Um, so I think that there are going to be some really, really interesting things that they can do um, with Mike Gusecki, with more or less, you know, him being a tight end in name, but using him as a wide receiver. I think we could see, um, we could see 12 personnel where you do have, you know, you do have Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle on the field, and then you have um, Mike Gusecki and Durham Smythe, but maybe you're putting Gusecki in the slot or you're moving him outside to get a favorable matchup against, you know, a smaller cornerback or a, or a slower running back, excuse me, a slower linebacker, I should say. Um, so, you know, it's 12 personnel in name, but the look is kind of more like a spread look and you're flanking or spreading out uh, Mike Kaseki to use him best as a, uh, as a pass catcher. Um, so I think that there are going to be some really, really interesting things. I mean, I mean, that's, that's McDaniel's job right there. It's kind of the mad scientist of this offense to figure out how to incorporate uh, Mike Kaseki in this offense and use his specific skill sets to the betterment of this team. Um, so the last question I am going to take is a question on the rookies, the rookies, the rookies, the rookies. The Dolphins don't have a big rookie class in terms of their uh, their actual, you know, draft picks just four, but they have a, a 
pretty sizable um, undrafted free agent class and some really some really interesting names. You know, we already mentioned Rowan McKinley. Um, they have Kellen Deesh, the uh, offensive tackle from Arizona State, who um, slipped through the draft process. But this question is, um, how well do you think the rookies have been doing? In particular, Tyndall, Azukama, White, Deesh, Good, and McKinley. And do you see any of them winning a role in the starting lineup? Um, so this is a really uh, good question because obviously um, every year you bring in new players, a lot of intrigue about these rookies, these young players and their potential. Um, and I'm going to start with saying that I think overall it's kind of tough to, to gauge, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of progress. I mean, you can, you can tell when some guys are maybe a little bigger, a little faster, you know, you can obviously tell if they're, they're performing well. Um, but, but sometimes you don't want to put too much stock in, in these practices because it's not full pads and full contact and to the ground. And, um, you know, you're, you're, you're not trying to hurt your own players. So you're kind of easing up a little bit at times. Um, but I will say that you can kind of pick some stuff here and there, especially with some of the skill position players and um, them standing up. And I will say, I think uh, it's a quandary, right? Um, the undrafted uh, free agent running back. I think that I have seen some nice cutbacks from him. I think uh, the seventh round pick uh, quarterback, Skylar Thompson, I thought he had a really, really strong practice. And I wrote about it um, when Tua sat out with a uh, with the illness, uh, some illness that kept them out of um, that OTA practice. I thought Skylar Thompson threw some really, really nice passes downfield. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what happens with him as kind of the third quarterback and whether the Dolphins use a 53-man um, a roster spot on him because most teams use um, just two spots on their quarterbacks nowadays. Um, but I think two names specifically stick out to me in terms of uh, potentially carving out a role as rookies, maybe not becoming bona fide starters, especially not even by the end of the season, but having prominent roles with this team. And that's uh, Channing Tindell, the team's first pick, the third rounder, and McKinley, who I mentioned before. So I'll start out with Tindall and uh, kind of reiterating, reiterating some points that I've said before. Um, I think that he his skill set it's perfectly for this defense in terms of adding speed at the linebacker position, getting a guy who can run sideline to sideline, who has the physicality to hold up in the run, but also has the speed to, to match uh, potentially tight ends and running backs in coverage. Um, I think that, again, I think early on, um, they're going to find a very, very niche role for him. And defensive coordinator Josh Boyer kind of alluded to that. He said, we're going to throw a lot of stuff at Channing. Um, and we're going to hope that, you know, some maybe we can carve out a role for him early on. But later on, um, he can do everything because we're, we're, we're testing him with everything. And I think that I can really envision a, an early role for him as a blitzer. You know, he, he ran a 4-4 at the combine, um, you know, put him at outside linebacker, put him at inside linebacker, move Jerome Baker all around and just let him fly to the ball, whether that's the quarterback, whether that's a ball carrier, just let him run to the ball um, and, and make some plays. So I definitely could see that early on. And McKinley um, is an interesting name because, again, he's another he's an undrafted free agent. It's going to have to fight for a roster spot. Um, but in college at Oregon, he was one of the best ball hawks in the nation. I mean, he was an, he was a finalist for the Thorpe Award, which goes to the best defensive back in the country. Um, over the past couple of years, there's been nobody better than him at getting their hands on the ball. Um, but the knock on him is that he doesn't really necessarily have the size to hold up closer to the line of scrimmage. Um, and his speed, he, he didn't test as well in terms of speed. So I think there's, there's some concerns about how he's going to hold up um, as a deep safety, maybe as a free safety and kind of tracking balls downfield. However, 
I think that there is a potential role for him as a slot cornerback, which has been floated. I mean, there's, um, I believe Jim Nagy, uh, you know, the Herald's, um, you know, my colleague Barry Jackson um, wrote a piece with some insight from Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Senior Bowl. Um, and McKinley was invited to the Senior Bowl. I was out there, so I, I got to see him for a little bit. Um, and he said that, you know, while the measurables might not be there, he could potentially slot as a slot cornerback. I mean, he as a nickelback. I mean, that's um, Nick Needham's position. Um, that's a spot that McKinley played a lot. And again, if maybe he doesn't have the speed to hold up as a deep safety, um, I think there is a potential for for uh, um, to fill in at at, uh, at nickel. I mean, I think that the Dolphins depth i think the dolphins you know their starting lineup at cornerback is one of the best if not the best in the nfl with um byron jones Xavier howard and nick needham but when you get after that you kind of have some improving improving guys i mean you have trill williams who hasn't really played a lot um you have noah ignogany who hasn't really played a lot and you have a lot of really really young guys who just don't have that that game experience um but again i think mckinley is maybe a guy who can give you some depth at nickel he gives you some depth at um at safety um, but it's going to come down to, to him making plays. I mean, that's what it usually comes down for these guys, these undrafted guys specifically. Um, you know, a lot of times the draft picks get a bit of a longer leash um, to make mistakes. But as an undrafted rookie, you really got to put yourself out there um, and, and make plays. And I think that, again, he he was one of the best ball hawks in college football. So uh, maybe, um, you know, he gets hot during training camp. He he gets his hands on a few and a few passes, intercepts a few attempts. Um, and really open some eyes. So it's going to be interesting to see. Um, but those are just two rookies that I think, um, again, Tyndall's going to make this roster. He's going to find a role early on. But if McKinley can make this roster as well, I think that he definitely has the skill set to contribute to this team. Uh, so last, before I get out, I want to quickly preview mandatory minicamp. Again, um, the Dolphins start their first of two days of mandatory minicamp on Wednesday. Uh, the previous sessions have been voluntary, so it should be good to um, see, you know, barring maybe some injuries that are sidelining some guys, it should be good to see a lot of these veterans. And I'm really interested, again, to, to see, first off, um, you know, how this offensive line looks with uh, Teron Armstead back, um, you know, in the forward. I mean, he, he hasn't uh, practiced yet to in any practices open to the media, um, but he's still been around the facility. We've seen him after practice working with a lot of these young guys, working on techniques. Um, that's one of those things that uh, we all really had our eyes on when they signed Ron Armstead was, you know, obviously he's going to bring a lot on the field, but he's going to be a mentor and a veteran voice to a lot of these young guys who maybe haven't developed at the pace that all of us would have liked to see. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see um, what the offense looks like, whether it flows a little better, and just overall Teron Armstead's impact on this offensive line and, and that entire unit. And the second thing I'm interested in seeing um, is, you know, how the defense looks looks with, you know, it, it's it's bookend corners um, if both of them are participating. Um, McDaniel did say that, you know, for a lot of these veterans, the offseason workout program just isn't really beneficial. Um, so obviously we haven't seen um, Xavier Howard a multi-time or, a, a, you know, multi-time pro bowl. We haven't seen him at these practices yet. Um, it's been a lot of Noah Igbenogamy and Nick Needham. Um, but again, I think we will get a better look at this new defense that uh, Josh Boyer is kind of leading with Xavier Howard in the forward, as well as um, potentially Byron Jones. Uh, we all know he underwent some 
uh, offseason procedure on his Achilles ankle area um, and that potentially could keep him out of mandatory minicamp. But if it does, he's expected to uh, to be back in time for training camp. But if he does happen to participate in mandatory minicamp, again, it'll be great to see how that off uh, how that defense looks because they kept everyone. They brought everyone back and added some more pieces. Um, so this is definitely a defense that is ready to hit the ground running and, and kind of, you know, reflect the unit that we saw the second half of the 2021 season so it should be uh definitely should be a a fun two days in miami gardens at the baptist health training complex um we'll be there at the miami hero to recap both days of uh mandatory minicamp what mike mcdaniel says what uh various players say um so definitely keep your uh your eyes locked on uh miami hero miami hero.com for the latest updates on the dolphins um, that brings us to the end of another edition of the Dolphins in Debt podcast. Um, again, I want to thank uh, all the fans and all the readers who submitted questions to me. Um, sorry I couldn't get to everything, um, but if you enjoyed this uh, and want to do this again, definitely let me know on Twitter. Uh, we'll do this again and I'll take a bunch of fan questions. Um, but again, um, really looking forward to ma- uh, mandatory minicamp um, and uh, we'll be back next week uh, to recap that. Uh, but until then, you guys take care. See you.